Hello and welcome to the Traumanomics Podcast, a place where we discuss a wide range of topics emphasizing healing, change, and growth for abuse survivors. Drawing from personal and professional experiences, we'll discuss issues openly for those in helping positions such as parents, educators, health and mental health professionals, and members of law enforcement. This is Dr. Chris Bertelson. Chris is a survivor, educator, and author. As a teenager, Chris was a target of a notorious child molester in his hometown, a man who went on to abduct and murder one of the victims. This abduction case went unsolved for 27 years. Chris was instrumental in helping bring attention to the cases, which were eventually solved in 2016. And this is Jordan Howard. Jordan is a therapist here in Arkansas with extensive experience working with abuse victims and males in particular. In addition, Jordan works with couples and people with addictions. Together, we hope to share stories and commentary of resilience and healing in a caring and lighthearted way, bringing attention to issues of abuse, addiction, and the effects on individuals and society. Hey guys, we really appreciate you tuning into our podcast today. And guys, if you find our content valuable, uh, if you if you like our show, please get on social media, get on Twitter, uh, follow us on there. It's at Upstart Res. Uh, please get on the iTunes store and subscribe to us. We would really appreciate that. And if you're listening on Google Play, uh, we appreciate you subscribing there as well. In addition, we'd like you to go to our website, upstartresilience.com or traumanomicspodcast.com. There you can look around. There's some free resources for you there, including a blog um, that we'll be doing periodically, hopefully weekly, and keep checking the website because we will be adding more resources and links as time goes on. Hi everybody, welcome to Traumanomics Podcast, um, episode four. In episode three we left off, I was sort of describing what um, growing up in Painesville, Minnesota was like and um, the events uh, that went on there in the mid-1980s, particularly uh, attacks, sexual attacks, molestations on boys in my friend group, age group, um, when I was about 13, and um, you know how we responded, how the community responded, law enforcement, and so forth. And so um, we're going to pick back up today. Jordan, were there any loose ends from last episode that you thought we ought to touch on here a little bit? or? Know about loose ends I, I think just uh, you know again just trying to trying to punctuate different parts of the story I mean I know I think that what stood out for me uh, in the last episode was again just sort of this you know and you had mentioned it how we we kind of take things you know uh, there, there's this continuum in my mind and we've got we've got neglect on one end we've kind of got the helicopter parenting that goes on on the other you know uh, and obviously those are two polar extremes but you know we're you know, really, for for me, what you talked about last time is like just looking at the the aspect was how much you guys were left, kind of up to your own unattended. Devices. Unattended, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Children left yeah. unattended will be uh, given a puppy and a cappuccino. Right? Well, and how it sets up the story. And I know you and I have talked behind the scenes before about how, and it's not it's not anything against your town that you're from. Right. It's not anything. It's Painesville. It's just saying that there was there were communities at that time that kind of were. Breeding ground. It set this up. Right. It set up a context for what happens yes. and what unfolds later. Yes, and a, exactly. And as we go through, you'll, uh, you know, we'll tell you listeners about um, kind of the scene, more of the scene later on. Uh, I guess that's 
Well, of course, we're going to talk about it later. So that's, that's what we, that's do. What we right. do here, right? <laughs> we tell you to tune in next time. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So what we're going to do is um, I'm going to pick up just a little bit more on what it was like uh, going through um, these experiences in Painesville with this Chester the Molester, as we called him. So one of the things that happened was uh, this group of boys – we lived in a heightened sense of fear, anxiety. Uh, you know, we hung around at night. We did, you know, as you said, we kind of ran around, did what we wanted. And uh, with the exception of one of the guys that was in our group, um, who was always grounded, <laughs> we we all kind of just did what we wanted. Um, and so part of that, as we've said, was um, the times, and part of it was just, you know, absentee parenting, I guess. So... Um, that first attack, February, my friend, May 1987, um, he came after me, grabbed my friend accidentally, took off across the church parking lot. We go to the police, file a report and all of that. So in the months that followed, um, we really started to protect ourselves, carrying knives, for example. Um, I uh, made sure every kid I knew had a knife. You know, I rode my bicycle everywhere. I had a paper route at that time. I'd, I'd ride my bike. As it started to get dark, I'd have a, a knife in my hand, blade open. Um, you know, it was just one of those things. The cops aren't going to catch this guy. He comes after me again. He's getting cut. You know, and we all just, I know it sounds kind of morbid, but that's just how we viewed it. At this time, Chris, are you knowing who this guy, I mean, at this point in time, you know, Chester here. Right. Do you, do you know him? Right. No, Chester um, had a mask, wore fatigues, paramilitary fatigues, camo, um, combat boots. You know, we didn't, we didn't have any idea who he was. You know, uh, since you mentioned that, it's kind of interesting how we would uh, do this amateur sleuthing. Who do you think it is? You know, and we'd come up with these lists of names. And well, and that's what I was thinking. There's got to be yeah. rumors that, Thoughts. I mean, just you yes. know, something. Yeah, there were a lot of rumors, and and you know, I'm not gonna name. I'm not gonna name names, obviously, of innocent people, um, because you know I'm not gonna do that. One name that that always came to the top, though, who's not an innocent person, uh, was Dwayne Hart in Painesville, and I'm mentioning Dwayne Hart now because that name's gonna come up throughout our podcasts, and you know, it got national attention, obviously, but. Um, Dwayne Hart, in today's terms, we would say it was a groomer. Uh, he would he would entice kids with money or offer them alcohol or something, uh, cigarettes, weed. I don't know. And uh, you know the the kids in our in Painesville, boys and girls, kind of knew about this guy. Like he had a uh, notorious reputation of being a child molester, and so that name always kind of came to the top. You know, oh, you think it's Dewey Hart, and we kind of banter back and forth. Oh, I don't think it's Dewey because whatever. Uh, we'd come up with these uh, different hypotheses of, well, you know, why or why not it is. Well, and even there, I'm sitting there thinking, like, how, you know, how sad it is that you're sitting there. It's like, okay, you all know this guy who's like, this is what he's known for. Right. Yet he's still... Still doing still it. Still doing it. Yeah. You know? I mean, no, like, that's a good point. And I think part of that, and, you know, we mentioned in... I think it was episode one how uh, boys don't talk they at least don't talk to authorities right sure. and, and the other part to that is you know and I've learned if you've heard it here and there that um, sometimes they think victims survivors think telling is the same as reporting 
hey, I told. You didn't report. Well, nobody reported, do we? You know, nobody reported Hart until later, which we'll get to. Um, <laughs> famous last words. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so there, there's this uh, idea that, well, I was telling my buddy about it. I, yeah, I reported it. Well, you didn't report it to authorities, you know. And back then, I think the fear was, and today even for a lot of males, um, I would say as much or more than female victims, you just don't do it. No. You just don't talk. And so we've, um, you know, that's one of the things we're, working on here is trying to get that well, to come around. And I know we've said this before, and probably I, I'm going to jump in and say we're not going to say this enough because that's going to be sort of a thing we're going to keep pressing on. But what you just said right there uh, was the, you know, it's, it's the question of why. Why do males not right. come out there and report this? But you think you think about that, that this idea of, you know, um, sexual acts from, from an older male, you know, yeah. coming down to a younger male, um, you know, a, a kid, you know, it, it's like this thing again where there's some, there's some intrinsic just like shame that goes on there of like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't, you know, if I say this, what are people going to think about me? What are they going to think about me and all, you know, and I, I'm not just going there with, with one particular thing, just like, how is that going to impact my manhood, my just everything about me? And then in this particular situation, you add to it the fact that when victims did come forward, they were ridiculed in school. Um, absolutely you know all uh, blaming the victim and uh, you know well if you were strong that would have happened those sorts of ideas and, and mentality unfortunately still are still pervasive. yeah mm-hmm. so um, so you know I'm not sure where I was going with that exactly Jordan but they you know I, I made sure every kid I knew was armed uh, with a, a knife you know I had my paper out um, so, honestly, I think it's a function of uh, PTSD, but there's blocks of time I don't remember. And um, that's pretty common, I think, with victims, yeah, right? Sure. Survivors and stuff. So, um, the, the period after the attack, we're all carrying knives. You know, we're kind of doing the buddy system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we had already started the buddy system. In fact... Uh, you know, during the first attack and my attack, the the friend who who was molested was bringing somebody home, and in February uh, was riding a friend home the night that happened, and then of course with me uh, as well, he's right in front of my house. So we had this uh, buddy system going, but we're living in in pressure under this pressure, not knowing who's next, all of this. So what do we do? And I honestly can't tell you, but I think it was about a year after the attack in May. So I, I believe it was in May, May, June of 1988, a group of five of us went camping. Okay. And, you know, you, I mean, what do you do when you're, you know, 14, 15 years? Well, you go camping when this predator is out. Of course. And, but, so anyway, we did it. Great, good sense. Good yeah, sense, yeah, right, logical, yeah. you know, no, nobody talked us out of that. But we'd been downtown, we're like, oh, let's go down on the river. Um, growing up, one of the things we did was we hung out at the river. You know, we go swimming and fishing and, and uh, you know, just start a campfire or whatever. Well, this particular night we went camping and we were heading up to, uh, we'd set up the camp, there's five of us, as I mentioned, and 
two of us, myself and another kid, walked up. We we're going to go up the hill to this uh, milk producer plant, milk plant, and get a pop from the vending machine up there. And as we walked out of the campsite, my friend and I both went over this log, this tree that was down, so it's laying horizontal to the ground. And we hopped over the tree. I'm on one end. He's on the other end. And he put his hand down on this guy's head. And the guy leaped up. And, uh, you know, my friend yelled that uh, this guy had a knife. We ran back to the campsite. And um, and we sat there all night with uh, our backs to one another. Built a big fire and sat there with our knives waiting, looking out into the After that, um, I guess it, it just became one, it became, a, the environment was just impossible to relax. You know, it was just complete hypervigilance. That's what's going to hyper, hypervigilance comes to, comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, everything was, and I detail that in my book. I, I go through a lot of that and those experiences, but, um, everybody was on guard. Uh, at least the, the misfits were all on guard. And uh, it it just there was no relief from it, you know. You, we just had no idea who and when this next guy, this guy is going to get next, that kind of thing. And so it became really a, a very very stressful time in to grow up then. And so after my ninth grade year, um, I had convinced my dad we got to get out of here, and he wasn't happy at his job and so forth and so he he decided he was going to move to and so I moved uh we moved to St. Cloud which is 30 miles away a city of about 40,000 okay and um you know coming back we'll come back to this as we go through the story here but moving to St. Cloud was just a relief seeking relief you know trying to get out start new they hadn't caught the guy in Painesville had worked hard the uh, you know I was talk about one particular police officer that really watched out for us cared about us wanted to catch the guy and it just didn't you know you just couldn't catch the guy so um, again I go through that in my book but but it was just to the point where my mental and physical health was such I just couldn't be there anymore and uh, so we moved and uh, I started at a new school in St. Cloud. And, you know, it's just, I guess I'm mentioning this because the trauma, those experiences don't go away, as you know. And maybe you want to talk about that a little bit. But, you know, here I was. I, I had those, this life in Painesville. All my friends were there. And then uh, these attacks. And then how do I fix it? Well, I'll just, we'll move. <laughs> you know? But it follows you. Yeah. But it follows you, right? right? Yeah. And I guess the, the saying is, wherever I go, there yeah, I yeah. am, right? It's a shadow. It's a shadow. Yeah, I mean, in, in you know, I, I, you know I, uh, Chris did a good job, obviously, detailing the story, which is, you know, uh, a difficult thing for anybody to do. But it's, um, you know, uh, he's right on the aspect of, like, how trauma follows you. I mean, it stays with you. It, it's not a thing that... Any, any amount of moving away or, you know, just running away from it or anything like that's really going to, to fix uh, because it is. It's like that shadow that's just with you. And um, 
obviously there are things you can do, and, and as of course we're going to say here, we're going to talk about this later. And but, I didn't do them. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. about them. Well, you didn't. Right. You're, you're a kid. Okay. You know, that's the thing. And, and back to this point, you're a kid. You know, I know in my mind, and I, I, I'd be interested in our listeners' thoughts on this too, but it's like, what keeps running through my mind again is where are the parents, you know? And right. I, I know I keep harping on this, but it's like, clearly they're not there in that capacity yeah. to where you're feeling like I'm fending for myself. So, you know, again, yeah, what's a kid going to think at this time? Well, if I get away from this, you know, it'll get better. Right. Looking for relief. Any, anything Seeking you can relief. Get relief. Yeah, exactly. And so the, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have said that, where were the parents? Um, that's a, that's a, a great question. And I think a, a lot of it, uh, not to make excuses for parents, but a lot of it was just, it's so shocking. A lot of it is just unbelievable. You know, to the, the thought of a masked man going around groping boys, cutting, a, in one instance, he cut a lock of hair from one of the victims, took, took my friend's wallet. Um, it, at that time, especially, it was just unheard of. This, by the way, as, you know, I think we mentioned it, this kind of crime is statistically very rare. Right. Uh, right. And so, you know, for it to happen the way it did over the oh, course of a year and a half or two was just crazy. You know, the, the odds of that um, statistically are pr- pretty low. So, um, so we're in St. Cloud. We, we moved and I, and I started school there. And the thing is, uh, you just can't put on a front. You just can't fake those things that have happened. You just don't go to a new school and, okay, now I'm, now I'm playing in a different pet band. You can't, just, you can't start over. You don't start over. Good. There's no starting over, really. And so it, um, it became... You know, it became difficult at the new school too because here I'm trying to not only am I trying to make friends and which I did, uh, made some friends there, but not only am I doing that, I'm also trying to, uh, I'm also trying to not have kids know. They, I don't want them to know. For sure. You know, who would? Right? Who would want them to know about this? And so, uh, really, just a very very difficult time. And that time, I know I'm. Chronologically, we're going to be a little jumping back and forth here because we're going to talk about these stories, this story in sort of three segments, and so it's more geographic than it is um, than it is chronological. But Painesville was thirty miles from Saint Cloud, and um, and I'll tie this all back together as we go through these episodes um, with this with the story. But uh, so I had to get away. I moved. And tried to restart uh, in St. Cloud, and it wasn't that successful. How old would you have been? Uh, so I would have been 15. Yeah, um, just finished my freshman year. Um, the friend who was attacked the second time, the, the night I was the target, had graduated. Um, I had a number of friends in his class, um, and you know, I just hung out with older kids. I guess I don't. I, probably safety. Now that I think about it. You know, I, I had always kind of hung around. I played hockey and I, you know, our town hockey team, and I always kind of hung around with the older kids. I, um, in hindsight, I'm sure that's why. Um, but they graduated, that class graduated, and I, um, you know, really just felt alone. It was, uh, they hadn't caught the guy, you know, so 
Well, you know, and I ask that question because I think it's important for us to know, you know, again, as we go through the story, just how old. I know I've asked that a couple times in yes. different segments, and you, even last week I think I've mentioned it, but it's the whole point in that is we look at trauma a lot of times through the eyes of us now, right. how old we are at this point in time. Imagine a 15-year-old. That, that's a great point because one of the things that, you know, when I go speak, uh, sometimes I speak with, uh, you know, I tell this story, and, you know, and up there sometimes with Jared Shiro, and we'll get to Jared, um, but, you know, we go up there and speak, and we're up there 40-something-year-old dudes, you know, but this was, we were 12, 13 years old, this yeah. is going on. We were not grown men. No. And I think it's really important um, for listeners especially if you're concerned about somebody in your life, these are kids. Kids. You know, I'm telling this story now, but I've been doing I've been doing a lot of work and you know working through issues, therapy, whatever. Um, so you've processed the story. I processed the story. And it, it, it's, yes. it's and you can tell obviously as you as you talk about it. Right. But again, it's like imagine a 15 year old. I mean, go go. You know. Obviously, if you've got somebody in your family, it's 15, I mean, 15, 13. I mean, all the, the ages that you were when all of this stuff is going on. Right. Very young. Yeah, really young. So. Well, guys, we're going we're gonna to come back to more of this. I know we keep saying that every, every episode, right? That's our new thing. But um, Keep coming back. Keep coming yeah. back. Yeah, you're, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep going with, with Chris's story. Uh, guys, I hope you're enjoying it. There's just a lot, a lot to it and a lot of just twists and turns and intriguing parts. So. Hope you enjoyed it. Catch you next week. See you next time. Thanks. This podcast is made available by Upstart Resilience, LLC, for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the subject matter. This podcast is not designed to give specific professional advice. By using this podcast, you understand that there is no counselor-client relationship nor any other professional relationship between you and the hosts. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent professional advice from a licensed professional in your state.